0: So welcome everybody, Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I'm really excited about today's podcast because I get to interview Dr. Mark Trinder, who is the Don Hunting Hockey Award Abstract Winner for the National Lipid Association, and he has really submitted a a really fascinating abstract. But I want to start with with asking uh, Dr. Trinder a little bit about his background and what prompted him to submit an abstract to the NLA. I can start by saying that he's an MD, PhD student at University of British Columbia. And uh, Mark, welcome, and thanks again for joining us for the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So before we get into your fascinating abstract, uh, which I'm sure will generate a lot of interest, tell me a little bit about what prompted you to even enroll in a competition and submit an abstract to uh, the NLA.
1: Well, so I guess my uh, PhD supervisor is Dr. Liam Brenham, um, and he's kind of a lipidologist in the Vancouver area, of British Columbia, Canada. Uh, and he actually had went through the NLA kind of training to get certified as a, I guess, lipidologist. And he thought that the experience was really rewarding, and he thought it was a great kind of community for the lipid field and kind of really pushed me in that direction. Um, I also had heard a little bit about it because it's you know quite quite well known. I guess that's how I kind of got submitted and happy to do so.
0: Yeah, terrific. Well, obviously we're very enthusiastic about the organization and the world needs more, more lipid enthusiasts. So I hope we can count on you as one as you continue your career path. With that said, the abstract that you submitted is really fascinating and it focused on looking at familial hypercholesterolemia patients, both those with the sort of classic monogenic inheritance pattern and with the mutations in the classic genes that we all discuss, and then looking at those that had polygenic risk scores that uh, included a whole series of SNPs. What got you interested in this topic in the first place? And uh, I noticed that you had access to some large databases to biobanks to be able to do the study and how was that available to you, and what prompted your interest in this topic?
1: Yeah, so it's a really good question. In kind of our province of British Columbia in Canada, since we serve at Vancouver, the whole province, we have quite a collection of kind of individuals that have been enrolled in our study with kind of clinical, I guess you'd say, familial hypercholesterolemia. And what kind of over the course of my PhD I've been doing is trying to find through genetic sequencing, if these individuals carry kind of those classical monogenic um, mutations that would cause kind of, the, you know, the Mendelian and the red And I guess what's kind of interesting is what we've been noticing is that there are, you know, quite a few individuals that don't have those kind of classical gene mutations, but do have kind of this strong uh, clinical familial hypercholesterolemia phenotype. And really what we were wondering is what other things are could potentially explain this phenomenon. Of course, there could be several things, but what's been going on in the field over the last few years is this idea that many the accumulation of many common genetic variants might, in concert, cause these kind of strong phenotypes that might look fairly similar to a monogenic disorder.
0: And uh, did you notice that inheritance was dominant in those situations when you have polygenic SNPs that lead to the dyslipidemia? You would sort of think that those variants would get diffused out from generation to generation?
1: Yeah, so that it, it is different. Polygenic kind of causes for hypercholesterolemia seem to be a little bit less penetrant, we could say, than those classical monogenic Disorders LDL receptor mutations, for example, and there is those kind of polygenic inheritance will somewhat track in families, but it's definitely not you know a Mendelian disorder where you can track very well. I guess the other thing that we might come to is that we've been interested in as well is in a given individual with familial hypercholesterolemia that we identify these mutations. Can that polygenic kind of background also influence disease? Because what we do notice is, and we're particularly interested in as well is although, you know, an individual with melihypercalesterolemia will have, of course, high cardiovascular risk, there does seem to be quite a discrepancy in risk between different individuals and, you know, what is causing that is another kind of important question that our lab and many others are trying to answer.
0: Yeah, I noticed that that was one of the areas that you pointed out in your abstract, so I'm excited to hear a little bit more about that. Just to ask you, do you think when we talk about clinical syndromes for familial hypercholesterolemia, we are including all those criteria that, for example, the WHO or the Dutch criteria included? Because I remember this paper by Amit Kara where he looked at the MESA database with folks whose LDL was over 190 and he found that only 2% of them were monogenic you know, familial hypercholesterolemia, and they were at much higher risk, obviously. But I thought to myself when I looked at that paper, well, that's not how we identify clinical FH. That's one of the credentials, right? But we also look at whether or not they have a first-order relative with similar lipids or xanthomata, et cetera. So was that something that you kind of considered when you looked at this population in terms of the other aspects of the clinical criteria? The, the issue becomes, depending who ascertains kind of your population of
1: study, they look at kind of different things. So kind of, the, I guess the lipidologists are really good at identifying not only just the LDL cholesterol measurement, but those other things you've alluded to, you know, the physical stigmata, tendon syndromes, family history. And when you add kind of that picture into, you know, Dutch clinical lipid score, which other, other criteria for, for meli-hypercholesterolemia, the sensitivity and specificity for identifying Familiar hypercholesterolemia will increase drastically. And I think that's kind of what you were alluding to. But in our study in particular, we actually, in the the British Columbia registry, we have individuals that we kind of looked at that had basically probable or definite FH by the uh, Dutch lipid clinic criteria. And where we're still seeing that, you know, not everyone with those kind of strong, uh, I guess, suggestions of genetic familial hypercholesterolemia had those classical. Uh, monogenic mutations which is really what prompted the question.
0: Okay with that segue which is a great segue I'm going to ask you then to explain to our audience what exactly the study was and your study design and then we'll get into the results.
1: I think the abstract that I submitted was really a constellation of a couple studies but kind of the first question we asked is kind of as I alluded to we have these individuals with probable or definite familial hypercholesterolemia clinically defined. And we asked, well, you know, how many of these actually have kind of the classical monogenic mutations? And we found, depending on the severity of familial hypercholesterolemia, as you increase in severity, kind of as expected, the more likely you were to have a monogenic mutation. We next went on to find that many of these individuals that didn't have those monogenic mutations might have either kind of a polygenic hypercholesterolemia, so that constellation of common SNPs. We also found that another common cause um, for this phenotype was elevated lipoprotein level A, which I won't really discuss too more, just because I think it's a little bit outside the topic. But what was kind of interesting is we went on to say, well, this polygenic modification or penetrance is kind of interesting. What about in individuals with familial hypercholesterolemia, those monogenic mutations? Does these polygenic scores influence the risk in these individuals? So what we did here is The real kind of utility here is we combined several cohorts. So our own British Columbia registry, we also included a registry from Montreal, Canada, and also the UK Biobank. Um, And what we saw kind of consistently is if individuals had an increased polygenic score for common SNPs that increase or associate with increased LDL cholesterol that this could modify kind of the risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease in these individuals.
0: Yeah, so that's very interesting. So describe for us the common SNPs. I think there were over 200 SNPs that you looked at, right? And these were not SNPs associated with atherosclerosis. These were SNPs associated with high LDL, correct? Yeah, so actually we, one
1: of the, I guess, the limitations of this study is actually we only included 28 uh, single nucleotide polymorphisms. So these are the ones, basically strong signals that were identified in early genome-wide association studies associated with LDL cholesterol. Um, I guess an important point to make is this kind of contrast to some of the other work uh, that often gets kind of used interchangeably with basically genetic variants that's associated with coronary artery disease. So this is looking at something completely different. And the the interesting thing about that is some people, uh, I think there's still a debate, feel like these SNPs that influence LDL cholesterol might be a little bit more informative because they kind kind of directly relate to pathophysiology that we know can be targeted by current therapies. While those coronary artery disease genetic variants, sometimes we don't really know how they work and what would be the most appropriate pharmacological therapy. But that being said, it's a very exciting avenue of future research.
0: Yeah. So you showed that that, that having the, the sort of polygenic score based on those SNPs that affect LDL increased risk, whether or not you had FH. I thought that was a fascinating finding. So it did... It did enhance the risk if you had the, those SNPs as well as FH. And then by itself, it enhanced risk, but not as much as having a monogenic mutation that's sort of classical familial hypercholesterolemia. Can you speak to that a little bit? And and also, maybe you have a theory why that is. I know we traditionally we think that, well, if you had a mutation that affected your LDL since birth, that the longevity of the high LDL is why people with monogenic FH had a higher risk, and maybe some of these SNPs don't raise your LDL at birth, but I have no idea if that's really correct, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, so that's a fascinating question. It actually comes up quite frequently, and to be totally honest, we don't have the the perfect data to support what we think is going on, because what one of the studies we tried to do is try and match individuals based on kind of that polygenic hypercholesterolemia versus that monogenic hypercholesterolemia with comparable levels of LDL cholesterol, kind of at the time of study enrollment. And what we saw there is kind of you alluded to is those individuals with the monogenic hypercholesterolemia had significantly higher risk of kind of cardiovascular events. The limitation here is we really don't understand that lifelong trajectory of LDL cholesterol and kind of the cumulative life years, say, of LDL cholesterol exposure. And what we think is going on is as individuals with melan hypercholesterolemia monogenic type, they have longer or higher chemotherapy exposure to LDL cholesterol compared to the polygenic hypercholesterolemia. And what we think is that kind of polyhypercholesterolemia really has a, you know, comes out great, greater in kind of uh, later life uh, and potentially through interactions with environmental variables such as body mass index diet you know etc
0: okay so if we i'm going to ask you to summarize the methods and the results of your abstract uh, because as i read through it i found several interesting points so maybe you can just summarize the the main purpose briefly the methods and then the most salient results because i've been picking on you about certain details but i just want our audience to get a chance to get the impact of the overall study?
1: So the main methods is what we tried to do is basically identify kind of genetic causes for severe hypercholesterolemia. Um, So whether these were non-genetic, polygenic, or kind of monogenic. And then we asked, well, what is the cardiovascular risk of these different groups? And if we match for LDL cholesterol, does this kind of effect go away? And the limitation here is we're matching based on a single LDL cholesterol measurement. So what we did then is ask, well, what is the risk of cardiovascular between these three different groups? And what we found is basically kind of there's a stepwise progression in risk of cardiovascular disease, starting with that non-genetic cause, then the polygenic, and then the monogenic. And then really what we think is going on here is that there's that lifelong exposure to elevated LDL cholesterol, which is highest in monogenic then polygenic, and last that non-genetic.
0: And I think you also, as as I alluded to earlier, showed that these things kind of layer on each other, right? So that if you have a combination of monogenic and a polygenic etiology, you're going to see an even heightened risk. Is that correct? That's correct. I think that's
1: another interesting take-home: is that kind of maybe the field has several years ago kind of thought of familial hypercholesterolemia as this black and white condition in which you either have this extremely severe phenotype but you know what work from our group and many others uh, is kind of coming to this conclusion that it's much more complicated than that and that there's kind of this spectrum of disease which can be modified by you know other genetic factors but also things that you can control in your environment or your modifiable risk factors.
0: Yeah, they're really fascinating and I think you're absolutely right. I mean many of us grew up with a very black and white idea of what FH was and everybody had one of the classic mutations and an LDL over 190 was frequently sort of knee-jerk diagnosis that they must have it. And again, in the absence of looking at all the other clinical cues that would diagnose FH, we find out that we were doing a pretty poor job, right? Maybe 2% of those patients we would have guessed with an LDL over 190 alone really have monogenic FH. So I found this very fascinating and I just want to tweak you a little bit about something you don't want to talk about, which was the LP little a group that you mentioned, because I I think that also is an area that's maturing for us. We have traditionally thought that uh, there seemed to be a link between a mutation causing familial hypercholesterolemia, such as the classic monogenic mutations, and a mutation leading to elevated LP little a. And more recently, there have been some really fascinating papers published that that may not be true, that we just made a mistake because people with high LPLA are often mistakenly diagnosed as FH patients. Because it appears that their LDL is so high. There was a paper in the New England Journal about a year ago that really looked at this carefully and basically suggested the incidence of LP little a elevation is no different in FH people than in the general population, which kind of shattered a lot of our thinking. So, can you comment on that based on uh, your work for this paper? And is that what you were finding that some people had very high LP little a had? neither monogenic or polygenic LDL elevations, but just had LP little a elevation.
1: Yeah, and I I think this is probably a contentious question in the field, but I guess what kind of, when I first really started this project early in my PhD and I was kind of new to it, what kind of startled me when when I was looking through the data from our own kind of cohort is that the number of individuals with what we had like ascertained for kind of clinical familial hypercholesterolemia had extremely high lipoprotein little a. So much higher than kind of the general population. And then so this kind of startled me and kind of led to a bunch of work where we kind of compared those kind of with the mutation and without, and to see how their the delay was. And really there was no difference between carriers of the monogenic mutation or not. And what we did is we also said, well, okay, is this because we're ascertaining this population? So what we tried to do is, in our paper, we looked in the UK Biobank, which is kind of unascertained for kind of lipid levels or cardiovascular disease, and asked, well, do carriers of this monogenic causes of familial hypercholesterolemia have differences in the protein little a levels? And in this unascertained cohort, we saw that there were kind of no differences, again, suggesting that really it's kind of an ascertained ph- phenomenon. And I, I think this is several kind of other... Studies in the field have kind of shown similar results. One of the more compelling ones that I've come across is from the Copenhagen studies led by Anne Stad Stad um, and Borg-Nardisgar. So they were saying kind of similar things in which elevated lipoprotein delay might be unintentionally being ascertained as familial hypercholesterolemia. And this is a bit problematic because these individuals are not going to respond as well to kind of the conventional statin or PCS canine therapy.
0: Yeah. And I think that's one of the clues, isn't it? That when you have patients that, you know, have severe elevations in LDL and they don't get the expected response, it's worth checking at LP little a to see if maybe we have misdiagnosed them as familial hypercholesterolemia. and, And now that we have some therapies that, can lower LP little a, those will be great targets for those patients. Obviously, those are the ones that really have the recurrent severe events, also are the ones with the extremely high LP little a. So, I think your paper is terrific and certainly worthy of the Hunting Hockey Award. You're too young to remember Donald Hunting Hockey, but he was an amazing individual. He headed up the Lipid Clinic at University of Minnesota for many years, and I considered him a good friend. And what I loved about him is I was at your age and learning from him was that um, he could take complicated ideas and uh, put them together in a practical fashion that gave us some guidance on how to think about patients. And I think your abstract did exactly that. So I I really appreciate your contribution and thank you very much for discussing this wonderful work with us. Thank you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to many more great things from you and heavy participation in the Lipid Association as you move forward in your career. So thanks uh, again for submitting the abstract to the NLA. So once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Mark Trinder for presenting this wonderful abstract that won the Donald Hunting Hockey Award, a prestigious award to say the least. He's an MD-PhD student at the University of British Columbia. And I'd also like to thank Amgen for sponsoring the Hunting Hockey Award for the NLA over the past three years. Thank you all for joining us.